Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. My name is, is John. I'm one of the members of the church, and uh, it's my privilege to be helping to lead and to preach in the service this morning. Um, but before coming to that later on, I wanted to teach you a memory verse for today so that you remember this throughout this week. Um, are your memories in good order? Can you remember things? Here's the memory verse for today. Jesus said, follow me. Quite straightforward, isn't it? Can we say that together? Jesus said, follow me. Let's do it. I'll say the first word, you say the second word. Jesus said, follow me. Now the other way around. Jesus said, follow me. And all together, Jesus said, follow me. We've read part of the story of some of the followers of Jesus. And we're going to see some pictures that uh, tell us the story that Elaine has just read for us. Jesus at the Sea of Galilee, going around in his ministry. And there at the Sea of Galilee, he first encountered the man called Simon, whose name is better known as Peter. He was in the water of the Sea of Galilee, probably with his net catching fish. And Jesus went to him and he said, Simon, I want you to follow me and be my disciple. And from now on, instead of catching fish, you will be winning people for me. He actually said, you will be fishing for men. You'll be catching people to follow me. And Simon, whose name is better known as Peter, Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew, who were both fishing at that time in the Sea of Galilee, they left their nets and they started following Jesus. And Jesus went along just a little bit along the shore and he saw two other brothers. These were brothers who had a nickname that Jesus would later give them, the Sons of Thunder. Can anyone tell me what the names were? Elaine read it earlier. The names were James and John. And Jesus nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder. And if you read the story, you find out why. But Jesus saw James and John with their father. What was his name? Anyone know? Zebedee, that's right. Now, when I was, or when we had children and they were young, the magic roundabout was all the rage. And Zebedee was a character in the magic roundabout. But Zebedee is a good Bible name. The father of James and John was Zebedee. Don't know who Peter's father was. But Jesus said to James and John, 
I want you to be my followers as well on that same day. And that day by the Sea of Galilee, four men had their lives changed as they said, we're going to follow Jesus. And later on, we're going to think a wee bit more about what it meant. But for these four men, this was a de decisive moment in their lives. They said, we now want to follow him. Our hearts are given to Jesus. And they began to follow him. And for them, it was something different from what it will be for us. But the same message and the same call comes to all of us. And what is it? Together, Jesus said, follow me. We're reading from Luke 9, verses 23 to 27, and verses 51 to 62. So Luke 9, verses 23 to 27, and 51 to 62. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. <clears throat> what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of heaven. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, could you open them again at Luke chapter 9? In the, the church Bibles, and there are lots on the windows, uh, it's page 1040, 1000. And 41. I came to this passage um, because I was reading through Luke's gospel 
And two weeks ago, I, I spoke about the story of the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus in the home of Simon the Pharisee. And I felt quite drawn to, as I read on in Luke, knowing I was preaching again today, to come to this story in Luke chapter 9, where these would-be disciples come to Jesus. And they say, well, one of them says, I will follow you wherever you go, verse 57. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then Jesus says to another man, follow me. But the man replies, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I've been thinking a lot about that, not least in the current climate that we're in. And talking with folks who are pastors and churches, there's a common pattern that seems to be emerging, certainly throughout the UK, that following the pandemic, there are a number of people who are just missing, who were around before. And now we don't know why they're missing. We don't know if some have moved to another church. We don't know if some have said, well, I've given up on following Jesus. We just don't know. But reading these words of Jesus, they really struck something deep within me as I thought about following Jesus now at my stage in life, seven years almost retired from being a pastor and being involved in ministry. Um, and hearing that call afresh, follow me at this stage. And when I read this passage, initially I thought about trying to dive into it and expand it and uh, expound it. But then my mind moved in a different direction. And I thought, what did that sound like for those followers of Jesus that he called at the Sea of Galilee, in particular for Peter, Simon Peter? What did it sound like when Peter heard these words of Jesus? And he would be there listening, taking it all in. How did that impact Peter? And I was drawn to three incidents in Peter's life that were key incidents uh, in relation to following Jesus. And the first one should come up on the screen. When Jesus said at the Sea of Galilee, what we looked at earlier, follow me. Peter was involved in a fishing business, not a fishy business, but a fishing business with his partners, uh, Andrew, two brothers, and James and John, two other brothers. And it seems that they were all probably working together in a kind of consortium. They probably exported fish around Israel. Uh, one of the clues to that comes when you discover that John had connections in Jerusalem. And these were probably connections from his days as a fisherman, taking fish up to Jerusalem to be sold in the markets there. And he built up quite a number of contacts in Jerusalem. 
So what did it mean for Peter when Jesus said, follow me? How did he tell his wife? We don't know if the others were married, but Peter was certainly married. At one point, we we read in the Gospels that his mother-in-law was sick and Jesus healed her. And later on in the New Testament, when Peter is traveling as an apostle, Paul says Peter's wife went with him and they served God together. But how did she hear it initially when Peter said, I'm going to follow Jesus? Did he even tell her or did he just go off? We have this rather romantic notion of Jesus calling these disciples and immediately they just drop everything and they go quite literally in the footsteps of Jesus. But there must have been things that they had to deal with at that point. For example, Peter had two homes. Did you know that? He came from Bethsaida. That was his family home. But he also had a house in Capernaum. So what do you do if you're following Jesus and you've got these two homes? And if you've got a wife and maybe children, we don't know about that. How does that all work out? You see, when Jesus says, follow me, there is, I think, the the key response that comes from our heart, and it's got to be from our heart, as Judah and Elaine have, have expressed. Yes, Lord, I want to follow you. But then we've got to start working out what does that actually mean in the context of my life, the things that I've got to deal with the places that I am. How do I follow Jesus? I remember hearing one guy uh, answering this question. I think at the time he was the boss of a large company and someone said, "Tell tell us about yourself, who you are. And he said, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's first and foremost in my life. And being in this company is the challenge I've got to try and work out what that means for me in bossing this large company. How do I do that as a follower of Jesus with integrity, recognizing that my first allegiance, my heart belongs to Jesus Christ? And He's the one I love and serve. He's my Savior and Lord, and I want to follow Him. And for Peter the fisherman, in that moment, probably he'd met Jesus before the story that uh, Elaine read to us in Matthew. Probably there was prior knowledge and understanding, but there came that decisive moment. And Peter said, whatever it takes, wherever it leads me, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. My heart is given to you. And that, for Peter, was the decisive moment. Let me ask you the question that I asked Judah and Elaine. What's been the decisive moment for you in following Jesus? Has there been a decisive moment? Maybe that moment is this morning for some of you here. Maybe you're hearing Jesus called to you, Jesus who gave himself on the cross for you, as we sang about here, his love 
vast as the ocean. Jesus, who died for your sins, calling you and saying, I want you to follow me. There's another incident in the life of Peter that uh, I was drawn to. And you read about it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, when Jesus and his followers came to Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus engaged them in a discussion. And he said, what do people say about me? Who do they say that I am? And some of them said, um, well, some say you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the old prophets somehow come back to life or even John the Baptist. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Now, whenever Jesus asked a question like that, you can almost guarantee that the person who would answer first would be Peter. Now, sometimes he opened his mouth and put his foot in it. My Auntie Sarah was like that. She was a wonderful, lovely lady who looked after us, but she had foot and mouth disease sometimes. She would open her mouth and put her foot in it. And some, usually it was hilarious, but sometimes she had to be rescued. Peter was a bit like that. Spontaneous, uh, upfront, always there ready with an answer. And when Jesus said, well, that's what everyone says about me, but what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. Peter, God has shown you something about me. You've heard from God. Isn't that fantastic? And Peter must have felt 10 feet tall. Of all the answers you could have given, none was better than this answer. But he hadn't thought through the implications of it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And just a few verses later on, Jesus begins to talk about what that means. The Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by the, the, the scribes and the leaders of the people and be crucified and three days later rise again. And it actually tells us in the gospel that Peter takes Jesus aside, you know, when you want to say something confidential. And he says, Lord, far be it from you. This will not happen to you. And Jesus says to this same Peter, to whom he'd said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because to follow Jesus means that you embrace all that he is and all that he will do. And for Jesus, his face was set towards the cross. Back to Luke chapter 9 again. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, verse 51, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This was the way of the cross, the way of suffering and death, the way of surrendering his life so that Peter and all of us who believe in Jesus could be saved and find forgiveness of sin and find hope. So when Peter suggests that somehow 
Jesus could get round the cross and take a different way, immediately Jesus reacts with horror to such a suggestion because his face is firmly set towards Jerusalem. And that's why when you go to the end of chapter 9 and Luke, when you read about these three would-be followers, um, Jesus doesn't spare his words when he answers them and speaks to them. When someone says, I will follow you, Lord, wherever you go, and Jesus said, I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. I don't have a home of my own. Foxes have and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay down and rest. Will you follow me? And another one says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And the chances were that the father was still alive and well, probably alive and kicking. And for Jewish boys, that was a very sacred duty to give the final dignity to their fathers when the fathers died and, and to bury them. And Jesus said, my call upon you is even greater than the closest claims of family. One of the, the heroes I had when I was a young Christian was a man called C.T. Studd, Charlie Studd. Uh, he was an English international cricketer, and uh, he was from a very wealthy family. And when Jesus called him, he actually felt, I've got to give all this over to Jesus. And he gave it all up. And out of his life and service as a missionary came the organization of WEC, Worldwide Evangelization for Christ, which continues to this day. And C.T. Studd, when he got engaged, he taught his fiancée a little poem that he said, I want you to recite every day. And the poem was this, Jesus, I love thee. Thou art to me dearer than Charlie ever could be. Jesus, I love thee. Thou art to me dearer than Charlie ever could be. And he said, I want you to say that every day because your first allegiance is not to me as your husband, but to Jesus as the Lord that you're following. Peter found the hard way <laughs> that sometimes his idea of what that meant was wrong and it had to be corrected. And the idea for Peter that his Lord should suffer and die and be rejected was anathema to him. But then he came to see things very differently. The third incident in Peter's life is back at the Sea of Galilee. It's after the resurrection of Jesus. And it's told in John's Gospel, chapter 21, when Jesus cooks breakfast. The risen Jesus cooks breakfast over a charcoal fire, fish from the Sea of Galilee, and his disciples are out fishing, and he calls them to come ashore and to eat breakfast, bread and fish. What would that remind them of in the stories of Jesus? Bread and fish. And how did Jesus catch the fish? Well, we don't know, but there they were, and he built the fire the resurrected Lord building a fire and serving breakfast to his disciples. What a wonderful image that is. At this point, 
Jesus has met with Peter. The risen Jesus has met with Peter, who three times denied him. And Jesus has forgiven Peter. But now he's restoring him to his place in the band of apostles. And three times, sitting beside the fire, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And Peter's hesitant responses capture his almost unwillingness to commit too much because he knows how much he's failed, how much he's blown it. And yet Jesus says to him three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. And in this wonderful uh, incident by the Sea of Galilee that Peter knew so well, Jesus, I think, is actually doing a deep work in Peter and restoring him. And then Peter asks a question, and he, he points to John the Apostle, and he says, Lord, what about this man? What will he do? And Jesus says to Peter, that's got nothing to do with you. What's important is for you to follow me. And those same words came back like a gong clanging in Peter's life. Follow me. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. At every key point in his life, there's the call for Peter to follow Jesus. How did Peter's life end? We don't know. Tradition has it that he was crucified upside down um, because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. But we don't know if that happened or not. There's no uh, reliable historical evidence to, to verify that. But we do know that he wrote letters later in his life. And in the first letter, he talks uh, in chapter 2 and verse 14 about being near the end of his life. Um, sorry, it's not verse 14. You ever written the wrong reference down? It's in there. Read, read both letters when you get home and you'll find it. <laughs> it's in there, I can assure you. Peter says, my time to leave this tent that I'm living in is coming quickly. It's coming soon. So why does he write his letters? He writes his letters to encourage those who are reading them to keep following Jesus. So at the end of his life, looking back on it, knowing that his end is imminent, throughout his letters, this is the constant thrust that Peter is saying to those who are reading them. Keep following Jesus. You never stop. You never retire as a disciple. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you keep following you never put your feet up and say, well, that's it. Someone else can do the following. Jesus never rescinded that call to Peter. And right at the end, he's saying, keep following Jesus. And his last words 
were these, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As Judah said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And let me finish by telling you the story of Polycarp. 22nd of February, the year 156. Polycarp is the aged bishop of Smyrna, one of the, the places in Revelation that received the letter from Jesus in Turkey, present-day Turkey. Polycarp is bishop of Smyrna. A period of persecution has broken out against the Christians. They are being accused of disloyalty to the state because they will not say Caesar is Lord, the Roman Emperor Caesar. They will not say that, that Caesar is Lord. So some have been tortured to make them give up their faith and say, um, curse Jesus, burn incense to Caesar, and acknowledge that Caesar is Lord. But some Christians have suffered and died because they will not say that. And the soldiers come to arrest Polycarp. And they take him before the proconsul. And here's a, a very early document from the stories of the church that tells us what happens. He was brought before the proconsul who asked him if he was Polycarp. Yes, he said. And the proconsul tried to persuade him to deny his faith, saying, have respect to your old age. He was 86 at this point. Have respect to your old age. Swear by the genius of Caesar. Change your mind. Swear and I release you. Curse Christ. And Polycarp said, 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I then blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul continued to persist and said, Swear by the genius of Caesar. Polycarp said, If you imagine that I would swear by the genius of Caesar, pretending that you're ignorant of who, who I am, hear plainly that I am a Christian. The proconsul said, I have wild beasts. If you will not change your mind, I will throw you to them. Bid them be brought, said Polycarp. Change of mind from better to worse is not a change that we are allowed, but to change from wrong to right is good. Then again the proconsul said, If you despise the beasts, unless you change your mind, I shall have you burnt. Polycarp said, You threaten the fire that burns for an hour, and after a little while is quenched. For you are ignorant of the fire of judgment to come, and of everlasting punishment for the ungodly. But why delay? Do as you wish. And he was burned as a believer in Jesus. Eventually, it seems, a spear thrust put him out of his agony and his misery. Polycarp, 86 years old, how can I deny my king, whom I have served, who's been so faithful to me? Keep following Jesus. Whatever age or stage you're at in life, whether you're Judah and your whole life is before you, or whether you're Elaine, nearer the end of your life than Judah is in normal circumstances, keep following Jesus.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Peter, for the way you worked in his life, for the, the way his heart was given to Jesus. And even though he failed many times, thank you that you picked him up, you forgave and restored him and set him back on his feet again. Thank you that you do that for us as well. Lord, we pray for one another. Help us to hear what you want to say to us today. And we pray for those that we haven't seen for ages. And pray for those perhaps we've known in the past who've even been baptized as believers and followers, but who seem to have drifted away. Lord, have mercy. Call them back, we pray. And Lord, help us to keep following, no matter what it costs, no matter what it means, to keep following your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Send your Holy Spirit upon us to enable us to do that, Lord, and to live in such a way that people recognize that our allegiance is to Jesus, our Lord and Master. In his name we pray. Amen.